Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, just like last week, if you're here in person with us, um, the lights are going to be up just a little bit so you can take notes a little bit better. Uh, we're also looking at some just different lighting solutions right now. Uh, just so we can have that as a little bit smoother function for us. Uh, I apologize for missing announcements earlier. If you're watching online and uh, you normally um, either try to get away from me and you sneak out at the end of music and you're like, wait, my time's off. Well, I got you. I, 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 finally, I finally figured out how to work the time a little different. Uh, we had a few questions that I had a chance to um, get organized back in our children's wing. And our kids' ministry is way more important than announcements are. So if we got to move announcements and, and make sure our kids are set, then we, uh, we do that. Um, just a few things. One is we have started last week our series in Acts. Uh, we di I did bring in some more of these notebooks this week. Uh, these are the scripture notebooks I showed you last week. If you're watching online and you'd like to get one of these so that you can take notes along with the sermon series, again, it is the book of Acts in here. So you have scripture on one side. You have notes, uh, space for notes on the other. Uh, so we have some of those. Um, they are $5. And if you got one last week, if you're going to pay that online, uh, we're not real... Uh, we, we don't arrest anybody over $5 here. So if, if you come up and you say, hey, we're going to pay for this online, we're going to go ahead and give you that notebook. Uh, so if you don't mind, make sure that you do go in uh, and pay for that. Also, uh, we do have them in a crate back there. Uh, Marianne will be back there after the service. Uh, but if you just wanted to get one before we start today and go ahead and start taking notes in it, you can slip back there and get one. We just ask that you do. We do leave a little stack for our next service as well so we can have both services have an opportunity. Um, at the end of the right before the end of the service, um, our student pastor Ethan is going to come up. So if you're watching on live stream, you're a parent, uh, you have students, middle school and high school, please don't uh, cut off that feed before he has a chance to just go over what the new schedule upcoming is for our middle school and high school students. Um, I definitely want you to know those times because that's going to be the next few weeks, and we want we don't want your students to miss out on anything. Uh, we do have an outreach opportunity coming up for the month of February. Um, we are going to do 21 days of giving. And the organization that we're going to be partnering with is called The Family Room. Uh, they do ministry to families that are fostering, uh, whether it's uh, an, an expected placement or an emergency placement. Um, they are super active and, and so great at getting the items that people need. Um, and they really do some specific things, whether that's an infant or whether that's uh, an older teenager. Um, they do some remarkable things. So there's three specific items that we're going to be collecting from February 7th to February 28th. It's 21 days. Also, there's one Saturday in February that we're going to have a team, and you're going to have an opportunity to sign up to go to go to the family room and serve there after hours and really help them get prepped. Uh, they're getting ready to move um, from meeting some needs clothes-wise from some winter things over to spring and summer, and we'd love for you to be able to help out. Um, so please listen up um, over the next couple weeks so you can plug in there. Um, and also, we're going to be providing you just information about that ministry so that you can get plugged in there if that's really something God puts on your heart. Um, on a more regular basis all the time. Uh, we, we, this church does a great job of really faithfully giving here. Um, we want to we talk to you about how you can do that always. There's easy ways to give here. Um, and we're going to be having a financial meeting at the end of this month over some of our goals for this year. But we also want you to be active in generosity and giving and serving, not just here at our church, but at the places that God specifically really lays on your heart, specific needs. Uh, so this year we believe we've got some great partnerships that we can introduce to you if you haven't met them yet and, and find some ways to be able to serve at those, okay? All right, now announcements are over. Uh, no more music, I'm sorry. No more music before the message. So this is, we're, we're just going to jump into it. Uh, we're still going to be in Acts chapter 1 this week. Um, yesterday we had a chance to, a few of us, to get together and work on a ramp project. 
uh, for a lady that's here and part of our church. She's not here this morning, but she's part of our church. Uh, and a couple that were over there yesterday uh, was Tripp and Savannah. And I know they have recently just got married. And, uh, and they were so cute. At lunch, they were there and they, they ate lunch. And they kind of even just, you, they just kind of leaned near each other. And, and, and you guys just, both of them worked so hard and were just such an awesome blessing. And as I looked at them, I thought back, man, it has been a while since I was at the stage of marriage that they're at. We have a pretty landmark anniversary coming up this year. Uh, it's, it's divisible by five and ten evenly. So we, I, I know that that's coming in June. Um, but but I, I started thinking back kind of at that early time, especially around that, you know, right around the wedding and, and around engagement. I don't know what your engagement was like. I don't know what your proposal was like. Um, I thought I did a pretty good job, but I'm glad social media wasn't around. I'm the kind of guy who when I find someone as amazing as my wife, I don't need her being able to look out and see what everybody else has. Like I just need her to go into this false sense of of satisfaction. So so in my proposal, I thought it was pretty solid. I thought I did a pretty good job. And, And I can tell that story really well. And I can tell the story of our wedding really well. But all these years later, to be honest with you, there's only so many stories I have for the time between our engagement and our wedding. Those two events were so big that over time, does that make sense? That over time, I, I, I've, got a few, I've got a few memories through there that, that I can tell really good, but there's a lot that just kind of almost, it's almost like there's a mountaintop that was the proposal, there was the mountaintop that was the wedding ceremony, and a lot of things kind of, it's easy to overlook when you're, you're just kind of looking from either perspective. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and, and, and it's that kind of moment. There is, between the ascension of Jesus, him telling his disciples, as we talked about last week, what kind of witnesses they're going to be, and, and, and ordered that out. Between the ascension, and, and next week we're going to do the coming of the Holy Spirit, and this is one of my favorite events in the Bible. Um, I, I really want you to be ready kind of to hear this next week and really understand what went on and how God showed himself um, through the Holy Spirit. But, but you got two major events, ascension and the receiving of the Holy Spirit inside believers, Jesus in them for the first time ever. There's only one real story between the two of those. And we're going to read it, and I don't even have an explanation for why it's in the Bible. Because when you read it, you're like, huh, okay. Of all the things that could have happened between those two events, that's what made the book. All right? But we are going to look at, I think, some things that we can really draw from this and, and, and look at why we can have some confidence in how decisions get made um, in our life and in the life of any church and that kind of thing. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem. They are, um, they is, it, that, it's the disciples. It's um, the followers of Jesus. The number is not exact as it's written here, but as they gathered over the 10 days between uh, when Jesus ascended and when the Holy Spirit came, uh, the number within that was, was above 100 multiple times. Um, so the they there, is, it's a little hard to quantify. But it says, um, a sap, they went a Sabbath day's journey. Now on the Sabbath, uh, if I, and I'm going off memory on this, but I believe, uh, I'm, I'm correct on this, back in Jerusalem culture, if you're observing the Sabbath and you're not doing the things that you're told you shouldn't do on the Sabbath, you could travel up to about three-quarters of a mile. That was about the maximum walking distance that, that was really acceptable within their culture and how they interpreted the law and Sabbath and all that stuff. So 
That was about the length of the journey that they walked. Uh, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. We're going to talk a little bit about what that, where that room may have been. Some people maybe think, well, they probably went back to that upper room where they ate the Last Supper. Very, very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. Um, there's really good evidence that this may have even been a room that they had access to that would have been more in the temple area because of what we'll actually see what happened next week when, when the Holy Spirit came. But this is, this is just some of the people in attendance here. It says, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, uh, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they go back to this place. They know that Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. They don't know how long um, it, it's going to be. And they really, honestly, as much as anything, they're really anticipating Jesus himself coming back. Um, so when they return there, they're, they're connected in prayer. Now, here's the story, okay? Here's the story between these two major events. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas. Judas Iscariot, Judas the one that betrayed Christ. It says, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, the body burst open, um, and his intestines spilled out. Pretty disgusting scene. This became known to all of the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language they called this field the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Now, now, now Peter is reaching back into a psalm that he had memorized, and he's seeing the connection between what happened with Judas, having betrayed Christ, having, having went against Jesus, understood him wrongly, and, and his, his position among the 12 that were called now being vacant. This is, this is how Peter brings this into a moment of decision-making. He said, from Psalms, he quotes, let, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Now, this is Peter's argument once he, once he brings up the Scripture. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us, during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, and who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place uh, in this apostle. Um, apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. End of story. So what we have here is between two major events, Peter steps forward, quotes an Old Testament passage and says, hey listen, it says in the Bible that someone's got to take this guy's place. You can tell that Peter's got some hard feelings. Maybe a little bit of it's coming even from his own guilt of betraying Christ. But he says, you know, he went where he belonged. I mean, he's got, he's got a bite to his comments. And out of that, he says, okay, let's, let's bring up two people. Let's, let's nominate somebody. Let's put somebody in office. There's one question that I've always wondered about this passage. 
was this the right decision or not? Now, does it affect my life? No. But I really have wondered, is this the right decision? Have you ever wondered that about your own life? You've gotten to a point and, and, and you really kind of question, did I make the right decision? Maybe you took a job offer because it just kind of seemed great on the surface and then you went in and you started and right away you're like, oh. Now I say that with this hope. I, I, I hope any of you that are sitting here going, did I make the right decision? Like if, even if you're really feeling it, don't cut your eyes over the person you're sitting beside, right? Just to make sure. If, they, if they're the one you're wondering about, we'll talk about that after the sermon, okay? But sometimes we really wonder, did I make the right decision? Because um, some of us really have confidence in our decision-making, and some of us wonder, really, are we, should we ever been trusted with the ability to make decisions? I mean, I, I really struggle over certain decisions. Now, certain decisions I can make in life, no problem. Boom, I'm ready to go with it. But some of them, and some of the decisions I struggle so much with, you would probably look at those and go, why do you worry about that decision so much? And a lot of it comes up between, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's nurturing, maybe it's nature, maybe it's just, you know, how we're struggling through what does it really mean to become a Jesus follower. I read a research study this week um, that talked about um, Americans and their decision making. And, and, and this was done back in 2018, and, and they took this, this huge survey. Now, they didn't target anybody specifically for any reason. They didn't go to ask Christians questions about being Christians. They didn't go to talk to other people and say, okay, you don't claim to be a Christian, so let's see what your life is like. They just went out and talked to people. And what they found was, was that 81% of people that they surveyed said that they basically make their decisions off of their own personal exploration. In other words, they kind of put trust in themselves to be able to figure out enough information to make a sound decision, 81%. Ironically, only about 35% of those surveyed said that, that, that even part of their decision-making was talking to someone that, that, that would be an actual qualified expert. Now, maybe that's because we don't really know who the experts are anymore. I don't know. Here's the scary thing. Now, remember, they didn't aim at a group of Christians. They just aimed at society, at culture. Only 4%, only 4% of people that said that they go to look for their own information in decision-making, that 81%, only 4% of that 81% said that it had anything to do with faith. And that wasn't even, that wasn't even specific, specifically Christianity, just faith. A religious faith, 4%. And we know internally that that's just wrong. That's, that's, that, that's not what we're supposed to do when we really search out and we need to make decisions. But I think for us, we need to really look at, you know, what does it mean to make decisions? And in this situation, was it right or wrong? So I, I want to present to you first why this could have been the wrong decision. Okay, you ready? This is why this could have been, I think, maybe the wrong decision. But fair, fair I'm going to... Come back again and tell you why I think it could have been the right decision. Because really, truly, we don't know. This is why I think it could have been the wrong decision. Number one, and, and, and I hate to start with this because I think in all fairness, some of you could probably start with this same argument and it, and it be me, okay? The guy that led the way. It's Peter, right? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the guy that so many times we're glad that he's part of the 12 because he makes us feel better. He speaks when he shouldn't speak. He says stuff he never should have said. And, and he just goes with absolute just fervency with his just 
instincts. I mean, Peter will say the wrong... Now, he'll do the great things too. But when you see Peter jump out in front and you see him stepping up to speak first, so many times we see a story that follows. It's like, ooh, Jesus had to have patience with you. And in this situation, a person that's, that has that personality that's desperate just to make a quick decision, he's the one that leads the way. Another reason why it could have been the wrong decision. Jesus told them to wait. He told them to wait on the Holy Spirit. He said, look, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. I mean, he, he didn't even say, go tell your story. Go tell your verse. He said, wait until you have the Holy Spirit. Why did he say to wait? We talked about it out of John, um, the book of John last week. Um, and, and again, it, it says, it, Jesus told them when he taught them, he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So we know that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's inside of us, he does what we want him to do. He, he, he takes what God is thinking and what God is about, and he, he starts to work that out in us. And, he's gonna, and it's going to be the truth, and it's going to be about not just a moment, but what's also coming up that we don't know about. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit wasn't in Peter yet. Now, there's a couple of times where the Holy Spirit's influence was on Peter during the time Jesus was on earth, but he wasn't in Peter to really be able to guide him yet. So he didn't have that ability to really be guided. Um, the, the next thing is this. Casting lots was an Old Testament practice. Um, it's not a New Testament plan. It's, it's not something that you see happen again in the New Testament because it's something that people would do commonly in the Old Testament. They would pray over something and they would cast lots. They were, they were hoping that God would show them a sign because they were really just grabbing, about, grabbing from external influences. We now have as believers an internal influence to go to. So something that has that kind of element of chance, God's not calling us to go to that kind of thing. But that's what Peter had to implement because why? He didn't have that inward voice that could speak to him. And, and lastly, this. The, the, the next apostle that was called, Paul, Jesus called him himself. So you could also look at that scripture and say that, that yes, his place will be taken and Jesus did that himself. Because Jesus said that I'm building my church. So he went out and he called the one that would go to the Gentiles. The, the, the one that would go to groups of people that these original 12 mostly never, ever went to. They never hardly left Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. I think those are four solid reasons to say this could have been a bad, bad decision. Here's why I think it could have been a good decision. Number one, there were other apostles besides the 12. There were lots of people that already had seen the risen Lord that, that, that were called for a specific purpose. There were people to choose from. And really, when it comes down to it, um, why not go to those people who were there, who were solid in their faith, and put them in action? A second reason is this. Um, it, it never says in the Bible that they were wrong. There are tons of times in the New Testament, if you read Paul's letters, if you read part of the rest of Acts, you will see times where people took action and clearly, it was said that they were wrong. It never says that they were wrong about what they did. So that in itself may be enough to argue, well, maybe it was a right decision. The third thing is this. Um, Matthias may have represented the 12 apostles to the 12 tribes of Israel, and Paul may have 
been the one who really was the apostle to this new group of people who had not been reached yet, the Gentiles that we all qualify in. And one of the biggest reasons that I would argue that we really just don't know, Matthias is never mentioned again. He, he, it, it doesn't come up. And you may say, well, you know, Derek, why, why are you kind of going on with, okay, it, yes, it could have been the right one, or, or, or no, it may have been the wrong decision. Because I feel like many times in my life, if, if I'm not careful, I get stuck in that mode, looking at some things that I've done and really carrying stress, carrying worry, and wondering, did I make the right decision? And if you, if you really get in that mode, if you really get in that place, whether one, you don't know how to make a right decision in your walk with Jesus, or you, you make decisions and you really carry stress and grief over, did you do the right thing? Neither one is a healthy place for a believer to live on a regular basis. Now, I wish we would have a really simple, a really simple explanation of whether it was right or wrong. But honestly, I think if if the God's word said, you know what, this was exactly the right decision. You know what I think we'd do? We'd say one prayer, we'd throw some dice, and we would and, and we'd make every decision that way. We would just copy what they did. And I believe that. The New Testament teaches us that Jesus is calling us to do the work of our salvation, to really invest into it, to really understand his word, to know when we make decisions how to do that, how to, how to begin that process, how to work through it, but also how to look back on what's going on. Now, I will tell you this. Um, a couple of years ago, we did a series here at our church, and, and, and the page where I'm posting some resources for this series, it's rfcc.org forward slash acts. Um, on that page, I went back in, and I didn't put the same grid that I handed out before, um, but I put a like single-page PDF document, just, a, just kind of a, a brief overview of it, um, the Corinthian grid that we talked through. It's something that's been around since um, in the 70s. Um, it, it's basically six steps that we can walk through as believers to say, if I'm thinking ahead at a decision, how can I have my thoughts organized in a spiritual, godly way that I can start to figure out, is this something that God would want me to do? And, and, and even through that Corinthian grid, I would encourage you to say, if there's something that you struggle with, should this be part of my life, that's a great set of steps to take, to take yourself through to really hear from God on that. You can go on there and download that um, and, and, and take a look at that when you get a chance. I want to do this right now. I want to tell you two things. I want to tell you, number one, why I have confidence when it comes to decision-making in the church. And, and, I, and I'm not talking about necessarily just our church. I'm talking about what Jesus started. Now, he put some responsibility on us through this, but I've got great confidence in the church. And you may say, well, you got to. You work for one. Well, okay, it'd be, it'd be rough if I didn't have confidence in what Jesus started and I was a pastor. But I want to tell you why I got confidence in the church, and I want to tell you why I have confidence in us as individuals, Okay? So, so here's, here's what I want to say about the church. I, I want, and if you have a, a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to it, scroll to it, swipe to it, or just make a note. Maybe you can go back and, and look at this later. Why we should have confidence in this thing that Jesus created. This is going to be out of Matthew um, chapter 18, maybe 16. Let me check it real quick with my glasses. Sorry. 16, that's good. That, that bold font will get you when you need your reading glasses, okay? Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. This is Peter's confession. This is when Peter said it right, okay? So I can't bash on Peter too much. This is Peter's confession of Jesus, okay? Now, during this moment, Jesus is going to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit has done a work in his life. It just wasn't a staying work. It was something that he did in a moment. 
Verse 13 says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Then they replied, uh, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked, then he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because... Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. God would have revealed this in a moment through the Holy Spirit working in the thoughts of Peter. He would have opened Peter's mind up. And, and that's part of what the Holy Spirit is, is there to do for us. He, he's there to open our mind and direct our focus. To be able to take in what God wants us to see, but also see the things God wants us to look at, to, to take notice of as we're making decisions in our life. Because Really, decisions are just a string of things that should be in agreement with who Jesus is so that we can live like him and show others that kind of glory and that kind of goodness. And it's ultimately the, the, really the best for us. He says, and I have also said to you that you are Peter. Now, he had never been called Peter up to this point, but he said, you are Peter. Now, when you go into original language, he's going to say basically the term rock twice. The first one is when he gives Peter this name. And, and you can basically understand this as little rock, little pebble, little stone. Okay, He says, so I'm going to call you this little stone and on this rock, and, and that word there is this larger significant stone. He said, you are a little stone and on this larger significant one, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. Now, couple of different understandings that we can have from this passage. And, and, and I really believe this is so important for us to know, to be able to have confidence in the church. Um, Jesus may have simply meant, he may have just simply meant, Peter, listen to this. You are like a little stone. And, and I'm going to use you in the building up of this kingdom. But it's all going to be based off of, and, and kind of pointing to himself, this larger significant stone, like in Ephesians where Jesus is called the cornerstone, that's what they would have started all their building projects with. Everything would have been measured off that stone. So in other words, every decision that's made is measured off of who Jesus is. So Jesus simply could have been saying, Peter, you are part of the building process. In fact, you're, you're, you're early layer because of the time frame that you're living in. But I'm going to build this incredible church, and yes, you are part of it, but it's, it's not all going to be on your shoulders. Because he says a really significant statement. He says, I will build my church. Jesus takes ownership twice. He said, I will be doing it, and it belongs to me. So Jesus really says, this, this, this is on me. Now, there, there's a second understanding that we could also have from this passage. It specifically tells us where they were. They were in an area called Caesarea Philippi. This would have been way north for the disciples of Jesus to be out doing some things. In fact, this really goes beyond really where they were doing ministry. And it's almost a look into the future. Because Caesarea Philippi would have been an area where this would have been a group of people that were really more Gentiles that they wouldn't have as near as much connection with. And it's almost peering into the future. Now, in Caesarea Philippi, there was a cave that was an altar to a, to a Greek god Pan, and there was, a, there was a, a river that came out the entrance of that cave. And, and culturally, in their worship, they saw this as a gateway to Hades. 
that this water as it ran up was, was, a, was a way that um, basically this, this underworld idea of their doctrine um, would, would go back and forth. So they saw this as a gateway. This was a very, um, a very immoral city. There was a lot of different gods and goddesses worshipped here. We could also say, well, Jesus walked them way north of where they normally would have been. He took them to this spot, and, and, and in this spot he asked this set of questions. And Jesus never really did anything without great purpose. So we could also say, in agreement with Jesus building it with people, but responsibility lands on him, we could also look at this and say this. As he looked at Peter, look, um, on this rock, and, and, and think about Peter, where we're standing. We're not standing in a very welcome area. I'm going to build my church with people, and it's going to go into areas like this. And nothing is going to stand against it. You see that, that, that gate of hell over there, and that's what people think it is? That worship right there, that misguidedness, that search for something that they'll never find? That belief that there's power that, that doesn't belong to God, that is not going to overpower my church. It's not going to. There's a lot of potential meaning in here, and all of it points back to a couple things. Number one, whether it's that place or just this idea that, that, there, that there's gates, there's gates of hell that kind of represent this um, this other influence, this satanic force, it paints for us this picture that what Jesus is doing is all his responsibility and there is nothing that is going to be able to overpower it. Now that doesn't mean that I always cooperate with it. That doesn't mean that it always even wins in your life or mine from the standpoint of our agreement to it. But that's the significance of it. Now, how is he going to do this? Because he says, I, I'm responsible for it, but I'm clearly using you. And th to me, this is when organizationally the, the, the church just as an idea goes off the rails. He says this to Peter. He says, um, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was Messiah. So this is basically what he did. He said, look, Peter, little rock, big rock, you, you, you get who's responsible for this? Yeah, but, but here's how it's going to go. When I leave, I'm, I'm, I'm handing you the keys. Now, see, this is what's crazy to me. Um, keys stand for responsibility, correct? Keys stand for responsibility. So, so he hands this to someone who, in this moment, got something right. But virtually every other moment got it wrong. This, this really shows what, what Jesus wants us to understand about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is more effective than your or my mistakes. Isn't that great? And this is the beauty of it. What's our engagement like with the Holy Spirit? He said, look, Peter, you've got the keys. Now, I'm, I'm sorry if you're watching at home. I don't know. Uh, Ian, if you'll kind of swing the camera that way, I'm going to try to cooperate. But I, at home, I hope you see this. Uh, listen if you don't. If you do here, if you've got like, neck pain, I'm sorry, I'm going to test it for a minute. But I'm going to walk back to these doors because I want you to think about this with me. So he gives Peter the keys to, to the kingdom, right? So he tells Peter, what do, what do keys typically unlock? I know locks, but thank you, doors. That's, that's exactly what I was going for. All right, so keys unlock doors. So, so if, if Peter is literally standing here, and he's got the keys to the kingdom, okay? So keys unlock doors. And, and what do we know about what God does in our life? 
what are the keys that unlock things? Um, intercessory prayer. Uh, we talked about this in one of our men's groups recently about how, how when we really pray for a need, how God responds and get active. And, and basically, intercessory prayer unlocks the, the, the answer of God. So if I use the keys to intercessory prayer, then all of a sudden, boom, door un- opens. Hey, guys, how y'all doing? So the door just opens, door opens, and, and, and so what, we, what Peter has loosened on earth, he's, he's unlocked, locked. what's unlocked on earth, guess what gets unlocked in heaven? When, when it's used on earth and it's unlocked, then the answer can come from heaven. When, when, we just, when, when we just read God's word, when we unlock the power of his word here on earth into our lives, and we unlock it from our side, it is always going to be unlocked from the other side. God's voice can get into our life. So what does it mean to really have the responsibility of the keys of heaven when he hands this to somebody who was bound to make mistakes? That Jesus is in control, but the things that through the Holy Spirit we implement in our life here it's already unlocked on the other side. In our life, our job is to unlock it from our end. Scary thing is, if I don't interact with any of those things, it's sitting there waiting, but not getting through. That's why I've got power in the church. Because really, all we need to do is just follow Jesus and do the things that he gives us. And it's going to come through from heaven. I, I mean, and, and, I, and I know, I don't, most likely, because of the number of years this church has been in existence, if you're over the age of 15, or probably, I don't know, probably 14 or 15, if you're over the age of 14 or 15, and you've ever gone to church, you've gone to at least two churches, because this church hasn't been around long enough for this to have been your church for life, unless you got saved and you came in here, or you just started attending this church for the first time. I've been to other churches. Um, I'm not sitting here telling you that every church is perfect. I said last week, if, you go to, if you're going to be a part of a church, you've got to have a sense of humor and a thick skin. Those two things are necessary. Church isn't perfect. But the things that are wrong with it, it's not Jesus. That's us. So if we can just cooperate, if we, to unlock, if we unlock the doors, we're good. That doesn't mean cultural society is always good, but, but we will be good. We've got so much confidence in church. I, 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 I love it. Now, I want to tell you why we have confidence, I have confidence in us. This is a parable that Jesus told. Um, and I, I'm not going to take time to really give the background of this. I just want to jump into it. Um, this is going to be out of Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. And it simply just says this. He's talking about uh, people that built their life on two foundations. And you can look at this as a decision-making kind of passage. Here's, here's what he said. And, and, and this is really very simple. I mean, if you really listen, to this, it's very simple. Therefore, anyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because his foundations were on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It, it, it's collapse, um, it, it was a collapse with, with, with a great crash. And it says when Jesus had finished his teaching, saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. 
this, this great authoritative message. And, and if you think about, if you struggle with having decisions, especially decisions from your past or decisions that you're even making in the moment, you, what, what do we worry about? Okay, if I decide the wrong thing right now, it's going to be awful. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to have financial ruin. I'm going to have relational issues. I'm going to have all these bad things happen. If I make the wrong decision right now, bad things are going to happen. Or, but if I make the right decision, it's going to be good. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be well off. Everything's going to be stable. It's going to be relationally okay. Things are going to be calm at my house. It's going to be awesome. So it really all comes down to this decision. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, yep, decisions that are made, it carries out into life. And, and things happen that you can't expect or control. Storms happen. Winds blow. Jesus isolates it down to this one thing, though, twice, both positive and negative. You hear these words and act on them. Or you hear these words and don't act on them. But you know, something so, just because something is simple doesn't mean it has to be easy. Okay? Simple and easy are not synonyms. Jesus just says, if you hear my words, act on them. Just really follow what I say. There are some, and I'll be the first one to, to just confess, there are some things that Jesus says that when you read them, I mean, it, you, it's like you, are, you aren't looking at an, at an incline. You are, looking up like, you, you are looking up at something that looks like it's not just going up vertically. It's going like up and backwards, right? I mean, it, it looks like something you're going, Jesus, now, really? Like, I have to follow that? But, but I want to I caution you on something. Before we really question how hard it is to follow, did you and I understand what it was? So that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. We, we struggle with how hard is it going to be, but the, but the beauty is I understand it. I do know, in fact, what to do. God, I do know that this is what you're saying about forgiving others. I may struggle coming up with the forgiveness, but, but I can clearly understand where you're coming from and why that motivation, because forgiveness is such a key part of the gospel. So if I'm going to live the gospel out, I need to be able to forgive. I can understand it, which shows that the Holy Spirit is inside of you and me. Because I can tell you, have you ever had biblical conversations with people that, that, that tell you up front they're not saved? It's like you're speaking two different languages. And, and, and there's a reason for that, and, I, and, and that's okay. But when you and I understand something, that's the shot of confidence that we need. Okay, maybe this is going to be hard. The Holy Spirit's already working. There's already evidence that he's speaking to. Now, from a functional standpoint, I'd say this. When, when I talk to people about Decisions they need to make, or um, especially decisions that have been made. And we have that conversation. When someone says, and I've said this too, I hope I did the right thing. Here's three questions that I would encourage you to ask yourself, as especially you're looking back at decisions, but also as you're looking ahead. Um, number one, simply, what does the Word of God say? That understanding. That, that, that you heard the word and understand it, that the Holy Spirit did that part in your life. Remember, he's teaching and he's bringing things to memory. So, so what's, the, what's, the, what's the understanding connection between the truth of God's word and what you're thinking about? So just start with that. Second thing is this. Um, what evidence is there or was there of the Holy Spirit's guidance? Because remember, the Holy Spirit in us, Jesus in us, is only taking from God and putting in us. There's no other resource that he's drawing from. When I read that study, I mean, there were some funny places that people went um, to, to really look for their decisions. And, and you know what the number one place that people go to to help them get information to make decisions? Google. 
My seventh grader this week challenged me on something factual because he found it on Google. He looked me dead in the eye and asked this question. He said, Dad, what was the last time Google was wrong? Son, Google don't pay your, they don't pay your rent, right? Google don't put foot on <laughs> like, so I'm not, like, as a dad, I'm like, I'm just, but, but really, I mean, seventh grade mind, he was like, I'm all in with Google. And so many people are. We, we think that by typing something in, it's reliable just because it kicks back. But you know, if we, if we come to the Holy Spirit and God's Word that same way, it, it, it actually is reliable when it kicks back to us. So what's, what's the evidence? If he's in agreement with Jesus all the time, what, what's the evidence? Uh, um, uh, Chris is back here. He's one of our elders. Um, if, if I've got an idea about something, if I'm praying over something, um, I, I talk to Chris Trogdon a lot, and, and, and if Chris says, hey, let me, let, let me pray about it, and he comes back and we have a conversation, and we're in agreement on it, guess what? I, I like that confirmation the Holy Spirit's working because he's in me, he's in him, and, and when we're really praying and we're seeking over something, and we're open to what God's Word says, that's the Holy Spirit confirming things. He can work in two people the same way. Now, on the flip side, if you and another believer honestly disagree on something, I believe that shows us, hey, let's take some time. That study I read, um, it, it compared uh, the business practices to America and Germany, and they said the biggest difference um, in, in America and Germany on decision-making was just simply the time that decisions get made in. It, it talked about how quickly we make decisions as Americans and how we look at a decision as, well, I, I can always go back and change it. So we rush to it. Uh, we don't value the process of making decisions like their culture does. They see the process, the journey, as part of the decision. And we see it as something as a, that's an inconvenience to get where we want to go. Um, last question is this. What was, the, what was the honest desire, or what is the honest desire of your heart and mind when it comes to that decision? Honest desire. I say honest desire, why? Because if I'm really honest with myself, certain decisions of mine are guided by my pride. When I start a, when, if, I start, if I'm ever in a conversation with you, and I start a conversation this way, well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. Stop me. Because that's, that, you, you could hear the pride in that, right? You, you, can, you, you can sense that there's a closeness to what I'm getting ready to say. No matter what it is, stop me. Because... When it comes to me personally, my family, and, and what we do here together in church, we have to be open to really seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit and not closed off because of what we like or we don't like in preference. You know, when, when, you, look at, um, when you look at your kids, I look at my three sons, and they're three very different age brackets right now as far as what they're in the middle of. I've got one that's finishing up elementary school. I've got one that's just absolutely in the, I'm, I'm, yeah, one's finishing up elementary school, one that is in the middle of uh, middle school, and I've got one that next year will be a senior in high school. Um, and we are very open to arranged marriages, so if you want to call me this week and we'll talk about your kids and uh, my kids and everything, we'll see what we can work out for later. But anyway, um, I look at them and I, I see them not just in their numerical age, but I see them by the decisions that they need to be making right now and, and what things are approaching them. I see myself that way. I don't just look at myself as, as what age I am. I see myself as someone who has a job and has a family and, and needs to make planning decisions and, and, and temporary decisions. And, and we need to move from January to, to August and we, we want a vacation in the middle of that and, and, and I need to look at time and, and, and all that stuff. 
I look at our church and see what are the needs, what, what, what do we need to decide to make sure that we minister well, and I don't, I don't make all those decisions, but, but I'm constantly thinking about them. And, and I would venture to say that you are in a very similar mode in life. And as your pastor, I don't want you to carry grief over one decision or worry over constant decision-making. I don't want you to look back with regret, and I don't want you to look forward even a little bit pessimistic. I want you to have confidence in a church family that you're a part of, that you do this to get in life together with. I want you to have confidence in who you are and what the Holy Spirit can do in you. But I also want you to realize that there's a plan. There's some strategy to this. No matter if, Even when you just want to do the right thing so bad but don't know if you can believe that you can, there's a lot of helps in Scripture and in people and everything in place. Because your life is important. Your decisions are important. And Jesus is building you and this church for a purpose. So let's engage in these things. Take the keys out and use them for the things that are already unlocked on the other side. Would you, if you're here, just maybe bow your heads for a moment. If you're at home as you are listening, if you would just kind of try to bring things to just a, a little bit of a point of concentration. Um. This journey into Acts, the Acts of the early church as it's labeled in many Bibles, but it's really, the, it's, it's, it's really what the Holy Spirit did and was up to. We haven't even gotten to the point. I'm so excited for next week. I, I, love, I, I love this passage that we're going to go into. I love the things that you're going to see and understand about it, but also just really sense a call that's on your life. But in between two major events, we have somebody that spoke up, drew from some past experience and memories, and just made a work, made kind of like a work decision. Who's going who's gonna to do this job with us? Let's put somebody in. And, and we don't have an accurate evaluation. We don't know, right or wrong. We don't know. And I believe to some extent, maybe Jesus out of this passage said, you know what, let's, let's put this in here and, and, and let's let my people read this, looking at it, going, okay, which way did it go? Just to make us aware that that's not the life that God was, is calling us to in our decision making. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wasn't there yet. Indisputable fact. Right or wrong, the Holy Spirit wasn't there. And he said, wait on that because that will be what brings you into all truth. And that's Jesus who lives inside of you. I do want to tell you this. If, if you're struggling with some decisions you've made or some things that are coming up as a church family, as a staff, and as elders, we'd love to sit down and talk to you, pray with you through them, um, be a part of what God's doing in your life. Uh, we don't necessarily know. We may be prompted by God to say, maybe just check in on this person, but, but without some feedback, we, we won't know. So please let us know. That's all I can ask. Just, just please trust us that we love you and we do care. Because that's not where God wants you to stay in worry or grief. He wants you to have hope, hope, and all that he can do. Father God, thank you so much for, Lord, the truth of your word and how you work. So God, as we, as we consider this upcoming step into Acts where we see your spirit come and indwell people, Lord, thank you that you showed us much without him in us that Lord we, we can if we don't really take in the things that are 
that are already unlocked and loosed for us in heaven, if we don't make those part of our life, if we don't interact with those things, if we, God, don't come to you and, and, and really seek your truth, um, we are destined to be people that just wonder and hope that maybe we made it right and we're, we're grasping at evidences. And, and Lord, sometimes we, we realize that, that, that evidence can, can be faulty. Um, just because we see a difficult time, God, doesn't mean that we're disobedient or out of your will. It's just simply what is your will happening? So God, help us to have confidence in, in what we do because we do it through the leading of your spirit, Jesus in us. God, for this time and this season of our church, as, as we look out into our world and our culture, Lord, help us to be passionately praying in a way, God, that we bring people to your throne. and We, we bring ourselves and, and, and the needs of our church and others, Lord God, to you, um, to, to hope and see you working. But Lord, help us also to realize that this, that this season and the time that we live, Lord, we need to understand what does it mean to really, God, process through this journey and make decisions that truly are in agreement, God, with what you want. Because, God, our decisions will matter, and we will have to make um, easy ones at times. But we'll also, God, in our lifetime, need to make difficult ones. So, God, if we're going to decide and, and, and commit to anything, Lord, we, wanna, we want it to be something that you've led us into, that you've shown us, that you've called us into. Whether that's at work or at home, in our neighborhood, in our church, places that we go one time or a million times, Lord. We know that you will, so we pray it in the name of Jesus. Jesus, lead us, guide us, help us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you will, please stand back up to your feet. If you're at home before we sing, if you will, please listen to this one last announcement for our student, from our student pastor, Ethan. Um, as you leave today and as you're at home, again, we appreciate you using those three easy ways we have to give in person, online on your computer, and also through the Church Center app on your cell phones.